At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. So on the last podcast, you heard a recorded ad from Nice Job. It's reputation marketing software, and I've been doing some deep diving into the online presence, SEO reviews, and it's super important, uh, especially if you're in the residential market, because homeowners don't want anybody coming into their home unless they're providing top-notch work. So your your five-star reviews, your positive written reviews are going to come in real handy to grow your business. And that's what Nice Job does is they ping back to the customer saying, hey, please review my work because most of them are not going to do it, right? Especially if the, the work is good, pat on the back, pay you the money, um, and then you're off into the sunset. But this reminds them to review your work. If they do and you do great work, it's going to build up your online presence in your local area. So do some research, guys. SEO reviews are super, super important for growing a business in the service, okay, in, in the service industry like HVAC. So there's a link in the podcast notes that gives you a $50 coupon within that link for a nice job. So guys, check it out. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I've been waiting for this one for a while because as I've been talking about rapport with the person you deal with or the people you deal with at the supplier, supply house, wholesaler, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's where we go to get our parts, right? So on this podcast, I have Daryl Tommy from the Master Group. He is out in Alberta in Canada, and we are going to have a conversation. We're going to deep dive into the, the mind and the workings behind what happens at a branch, at a wholesaler. Because there's a lot of things that we don't know that goes on there and ways they, they deal with things and, and the ways they help us in return, right? So this conversation's a good one, okay? It's, it's a deep dive. Daryl's a smart guy. He's been around the industry for a while, so he has a lot of positive things to say and, and good feedback during the, the conversation. So let's get into this right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. So we'll go all the way back to um, basically getting out of high school back in 1994. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do like most of us at that time. And you know what? I looked around and said, hey, refrigeration and air conditioning is a, is a pretty good gig. And, and I think that's something that I can, I can probably take a run at. So I actually went to uh, went to trade school for a year. It was a full year class back in Cape Breton, uh, where I'm originally from. Um, did that, came out of there, um, went to Halifax to see if I can find some work. And unfortunately, at that time, uh, there wasn't much around uh, either on the island or, or, in, or in Halifax. So I had my mom and, and, and my stepdad were living out here in Alberta, um, happened to be home for holidays and said, hey, listen, why don't you come out? 
and, and give it a shot out west. And, and if you don't like it, you can always head back and and, uh, and, and try your luck out, out in this part of the world. So I basically packed up a duffel bag of clothes and uh, hopped in the vehicle with them and drove across uh, drove across the country uh, back in 1996 and landed in Fort McMurray. Um, worked up there with a couple of different uh, refrigeration air conditioning companies. Um, again, there wasn't a ton of work at that time and, and was kind of bouncing around and uh, came to Edmonton. I uh, met some friends and came down here and, and worked for a couple other uh, mechanical contractors and then realized this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be up on a roof changing a blower motor or, or a condenser fan motor, whether it be plus 30 or minus 30. And um, just basically walked away from that end of the business and, and went to uh, <laughs> just went to an agency and said, hey, find me, find me a job. Lo and behold, I ended up getting placed at Emco. And at that time, it was Wholesale Heating Century Robinson and uh, was just a warehouse guy. But I had a little bit of knowledge behind me. I knew some of the uh, some of the mechanical side of our business. And then from there, I kind of took off. Um, worked at Wholesale Heating Century Robinson, which turned into Emco, and then left Emco and went to uh, a prominent uh, wholesaler out here, Refrigerator Supply, and then uh, kept on kept on moving to where I am today here with the Master Group. I remember <laughs> being being a, an apprentice. I was uh, I was probably a senior apprentice at the time, or maybe a junior tech. And I remember that the office we worked in or worked out of, where where we'd go once in a while, the techs would go once a week or so just to hand in their paperwork and maybe go hang out and have a coffee. But the heating stopped working for the office, and I think it was minus twenty ish. It was it was freezing cold degrees celsius outside okay this was a bad winter and i was on the roof changing the blower motor for the office and i kept getting calls from the ladies in the office hey when when are you gonna have that fixed when are you gonna have that fixed and i'm like guys i'm on the roof like my fingers are numb so so i i get that because there are days that i think to myself i would love to be inside right now doing something different right um I think everybody's had those days, but you you made the, you made the choice and you wanted to try something else and you did and and now you've you've created a career out of it. So that's awesome. So how how do you compare working for a wholesaler or supplier compared to being in the field? I think on this side of the counter, I mean, you need to be um, very versed in all aspects of what our trades are, or at least have a pretty good understanding of what our, our technicians in the field are looking for. Um, you need to understand what they're working on, what they require from you on a knowledge side, and to be able to provide them with the parts and the service that they're looking for in a timely manner. Um, it's a lot of people, and I mean, this is something I've heard over, over my course of my career oh this is a retirement job i've heard that more than my fair share that people think that coming off the tools and going to a counter position or or, or something on the inside it's a pretty seamless and easy transition uh, what they fail to understand is it takes a lot of time a lot of knowledge to build up and a lot of understanding on how to deal with people and how to um, gain the knowledge from the technician in order for us to be able to provide you with what you need. And, and I think that is a skill that 
a lot of people don't really understand on how to get and, and don't really understand that it's required. Yeah, I, I get you. The, the dealing with people part is some some people are just natural at it. They're just natural people, um, persons, if that's even uh, a phrase. <laughs> They're just natural at it. But other people, they need to work at it. They need to really practice at dealing with people and different interactions with people and and really finding their, their way of, of how to handle things. And, and I think what you said is is spot on about learning from the technicians because there's many times where I will come back to a supplier and say, well, this part is doing this. And I think maybe it needs to be upgraded or, or this needs to be rectified. And having a counter person that actually listens to you from the branch or the wholesaler or the supplier that actually listens to you and wants to rectify that problem and learns from it. So the next person that comes in, they can sort of give them a heads up as to what's happening with it. I think that's really important. So that goes to communication, right? There's got to be a strong communication between the tech that's coming in and the person that's working at the wholesaler in order for the correct parts or, or the parts that are not being, um, or the, the parts that are, that are having issues at, at the moment. Maybe there's a bad batch of something, not to send that out because that guy, that tech's going to come back with that part again and it's going to come back on, on the person that sold it to them. So it's, it's really about communication, if you agree with me. I do. And again, I mean, we don't know everything, um, but in order for us to get better, and I'm speaking on behalf of, of all suppliers, we need to be able to be inside your brain. We need to be your eyes. We need to see what you're seeing. And what we don't know is what we don't know, but we can learn together. Um, when I was at Train, and again, we were heavily involved in chillers because that is a major um, product that they move. Mm -hmm. I didn't have I didn't have a lot of um, knowledge on chillers, but I learned from the technicians. I learned a ton from them by just asking simple questions. What are you working on? Is it a centrifugal? I mean, are we in an absorption chiller? What part of the chiller are we working with? Are we on the barrel side? Are we on the compressor side? So in order for for you to get what you need from us, we need to know what you need. And we need to be able to figure out a way to get that um, information from you and to learn from it so that the next time that uh, we speak and you're working on a similar project, I know at least I have a starting point and where to go and how to get there. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. So, I mean, as, as far as a typical day in a branch, actually, I, I didn't even ask you, like, what is, what is your position in the branch you're working at currently? I am the branch director here. Okay. So, awesome. Awesome. So I guess, okay, let's start with this. What is a typical day for a branch director? Uh, it, it, they vary from day to day, right? Depending yeah, on what, okay. yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, my calendar will dictate how my day goes um, based on whether it be a sales meeting, whether it be interactions with my staff on numerous uh, areas within the building on what we're working on. Um, I do still be, do, I do customer facing things as well. So, I mean, emails and phone calls and and basically uh, making sure that uh, our business is running smoothly and that our customers are being looked after. Um, for me, it's about customer service. The biggest thing in our industry, it's no different than any other industry out there, to be honest with you, is customer service. Um, that our staff is friendly, they're knowledgeable and they're attentive. And they want to make sure that when you leave our building, that you're leaving there with 
as a reassurance that you're happy that you came in, you got what you needed, and you'll be happy to come back. Yeah, and, and you know what? COVID has really screwed up those uh, those lunchtime barbecues and stuff. Eh? <laughs> yeah, they've definitely changed a little bit of the culture on how you do things. But you know what? You have to be creative and think outside the box to still get that uh, feel out there to these guys and let them know that, hey, listen, we're still here for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a question for you regarding tools and parts and and things that maybe a technician comes in, but you don't have. I've always I've always been curious about this. If if a technician walks into a branch and says, "Hey, do you have such and such product or such and such brand of recovery machine or such and such brand of gauge?" and you don't carry it, if, if enough requests come in, is that something where there'd be a meeting with maybe the purchaser for the company and stuff like that? And you guys, okay, well, we got enough uh, interest in this product. Are we going to bring it in now? Like, how, how does that stuff work? Well, I think, you're, I think you're, uh, you're bang on with that assessment. So again, my counter stuff is the eyes and the ears uh, of what we do to mold our inventory to tailor it to you guys. Um, so yes, for us, and I can only speak for the master group. I can only speak for, for what we do. I can't speak for anybody else. But I know for me personally, when I have requests, it doesn't even have to be a, too many. It could be one or two. But if I have a customer that's a good customer that is basically committed to, to buying that product, I have no problem coming in stocking it for them at all. Um, because, again, it's a two-way street. We're building relationships here. Um, and, again, it's residual business. We want to make sure that our customers are happy. We want to make sure that they're getting what they're looking for. Is there some instances where we can't get certain products? Of course, we don't have access to everything in the world. But I mean, for the most part, yeah, I think we can get our hands on almost anything. And, and if we have enough uh, enough people wanting it, yeah, we bring it in and we'll stock it. That's that's pretty easy on our end anyway. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So going, going back to behind the counter now, this, this is something that I, I think that is frustrating for both parties. And I, and I just want to get your take on it. So if I walk into a supplier and there's a big lineup, but there's only three people working the counter and the lineup's getting longer, people are looking at their phones, their watches, but the, 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 they're, the people at the counter are trying to do their best to get everybody moving. Um, I, I could see that being frustrating for the technician waiting because I've been in that position. But how frustrating is it for for the counter person that sees the buildup coming in and they're just trying to move people along as quickly as they can? And then the phones ring in and they got to put people on hold. How, how does that stress add up to the counter person that is trying to deal with all that? It, it, can, it can add up really quickly. Um, yeah. And I've learned over the years um, – just making sure that the customers are aware that you have their interest and you can say, Hey, listen, I'm not avoiding you. I'm not, I'm not hiding on you. Um, make eye contact and say, Hey, listen, I'll be with you shortly. I think that goes a long way into maybe subsiding a little bit of that anxiety on both ends because uh, there's nothing more hateful or, or, or makes me upset personally. When I go, whether it's to a grocery store or a restaurant or you take your pick of whatever, and you're, you're standing there and no one even gives you a nod or an acknowledgement that you're even in the building. And I think that's where it starts. So now the anxiety builds by the technician basically saying, hey, well, I know they're busy, but at least you could acknowledge that my existence is here. 
Yeah. And, you know, and that's the one thing I've learned over time. And I mean, as long as you can, you can relay that, say, Hey, listen, I'll get to you in a second. I know you're there. I'm working as quick as I can. Most of the time, everybody's kind of like, yeah, I get you. I understand. I know you're busy and I know you're working as, as quickly as possible to get to get to me next. And, and it varies from person to person, because again, it depends on the experience level of the individual. If you get somebody who's relatively new on the counter, um, they're probably going to feel that stress and strain a lot more because they're not quite as fluent in maybe certain products or the operating systems or, or whatever you might have. But a senior counter person will be a little more inclined to say, hey, listen, I've got rapport built up with two thirds of that lineup. I know them personally and they know me and they understand. And so you can get a little bit extra leeway, I guess, is probably the best way to put it when, when that kind of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And something I think about all the time is because I have to call and get pricing and stuff. And, and sometimes the part is not available that I'm looking for pricing for. And, and there's, there's maybe lead time on it, but the, the person at the counter has to call or email their vendor. Like if I call the master group for a compressor, but like, let's say uh, it's a Copeland compressor, but they don't have it in the branch. They got to call Copeland and wait for an answer. Uh, do you think it's important? Well, I know what the answer is going to be, but I think it's 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 a good thing to just bring it up. Just like the technician and the counter person needs a good relationship, the counter person that's looking for those quick responses from their vendors for that compressor price for that lead time, um, they have to have good rapport with with the vendor as well, so they can get their so they can get back to them as quick as possible. So. Now the, the counter person can get back to the technician as quick as possible. So how important is that relationship on, on the opposite side? So there's a lot of techs that are very curious and have went out and purchased the new Testo digital manifold 550S557S. It is completely badass. If you want to step up your game, I mean, if you haven't gone digital yet, these, these things, I mean, yeah, they're, they're pricey, right? Price is always a thing for people because not everybody can can afford it. And, and that's completely understandable. But if you can, I'm going to be honest with you that your investment is not going to go, you, you're not going to be unhappy with it. Okay, that, that's all I'm saying. So Testo 557S, 550S, and the smart probes are kick-ass too. And, the, the new 552i vacuum gauge it's 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 all it's all really good quality stuff from testo um blue on you guys have heard me talking about blue on before so i just there's a bunch of case studies on their on their website so you can go check out their case studies and i posted one recently on a 15 ton liebert they did and, and there was some cost savings the amperage actually went up right but in in the notes section if you look at it the capacity increased by doing the conversion from R22 to uh, 458A, right? That's that's Blue On's refrigerant. The capacity increased, so the runtimes reduced. The runtimes reduced, right? The, the 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 current draw over time is less, so that's where the, the cost savings were. So you can go check out those case studies online. Supco guys, I mean, what can I say? The Trade Fox brand is growing. They've got a bunch of tools out that you guys can check out. And listen, if you have an idea, just email them. Ideas at subco. 
ideas.com. Okay, it's ideas, sorry, sorry, <laughs> ideas at supcotradefox.com. That is the email if you have an idea, a sketch, a prototype, whatever it is. Refrigeration technologies, guys. Uh, Nylog, uh, it comes in a, a clamshell plastic container now, or that's the way it's going to be coming from now on in a two-pack. And you can keep, it's, it's, it's very low profile. You can keep the two-pack in a pouch. Mine's in my Vito Pro Pack. And it takes care of the mess that might spill out of your nylog while it's in your pouch because i know a lot of people were complaining about that the yellow jacket pick guys for your your gaskets on your hose seals it's a very invaluable tool and trust me it's it's very it's very inexpensive but it, it adds a lot of value because i don't know if you, the one the last time you looked at your hose seals and how crunched down they were and damaged but you got to pull those out pull them out pull that little depressor out pull the seal out I usually put a little bit of nylog in there to keep the seal from drying out. Put the seal back in, put the depressor back in. And now you have hoses that are leak-free at the connection point. So it's very important that you guys continue to monitor and maintain your gauges and, and, and your hoses. And that's one big part of it. And that pick really gets in there. It's almost like a dentist pick. It picks it out. It's got a core removal tool on the back of it, I think. And it's got a little hollow cylinder piece that it all attaches to where you keep your extra seals inside so it's a good tool it's very inexpensive so let's get back to daryl i think your internal customers are are as important as your external customers again your channels need to be flowing from point a to point b to point c out the door and so in order for you to perform at your highest level, you need the support behind you. Whether that's our internal team at the master group in the purchasing department, whether it be a vendor relationship on a specific product, having that is, is, is imperative. I think you need to have those relationships. And again, um, if you have them, you're probably going to have that individual maybe jump through an extra hoop or do something a little bit outside the queue to help you get through your bind and make your uh, your transaction with your customer a little bit more seamless mm -hmm. yeah that that's all important for sure so something that i've witnessed <laughs> i've witnessed this several times is an irate technician being a customer coming in to a to a specific branch uh, like this has happened probably at every single branch i've or every single supplier i've ever been to there's an irate technician for whatever reason. Maybe maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe it was their fault because they didn't look into the box before they left. Maybe it was the, the counter person's fault because they gave them the wrong part. But nevertheless, they're irate. I'm sure you've dealt with that. How, how do you deal with a technician that's coming through the door and he's just, he's seeing red or she's seeing red because of a misunderstanding or the wrong part or whatever may have happened. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, there's a couple of ways I deal with this. First off, I let the technician vent and let them get that out of their system because they have a right to. And again, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And it could be a communication uh, faux pas, like mm -hmm. you're saying, something that was said uh, that we interpreted wrong. Regardless, it doesn't matter after the damage has been done. Yeah. So if you let the individual get there, Get it off their chest and let them express themselves. Once that's done, now you can move forward. What I always say is that I can't change what happened, but I can only make the next process better. 
I can only yeah. work with rat right now. So I've learned over time that most people, once they vent, then they are grounded and then they're more acceptance of getting what they need and getting moved on to the next job. Cause you can't, we, you can't rewrite the past. You can't go backwards. You can only move forward. And again, standing up and owning it as well is a big thing and not trying to throw people under the bus and not trying to make excuses for why it happened. It happened. The bottom line, it happened. So you need to be able to move on from it and get, you gotta, you have to correct it because it's easy to look like a hero when life is going well, but when the chips are down, that's where you can really shine. And I think that's the biggest advantage that you have at that moment. Yeah. Well, I've also seen it where the technician has given the, given the counter person the wrong information as well. And then they walk out with the wrong part, but it's also their fault. But then I've seen them get, get angry and try to try to twist it around. Right. And, and I've also seen it where a technician that's not so experienced will come in and ask the counter person for troubleshooting advice or how to install something. Um, how would you, how would you handle that? Because I mean, Really, do you want, even if you did have the knowledge of how to install something, do you want that on you if you tell the technician something, they do it wrong and they mess it up, and now they're kind of put, putting the blame on you? Do you maybe shy away from advising, or or do you, do you try to help out in some way? Or, or what, what do you tell your, your people that, that you're working with at your branch to ha how to handle that? I think it's a case by case scenario, to be honest with you. And again, we're not here to tell you how to do your job. You guys are the ones in the field. You guys are the ones that are troubleshooting and coming up with the diagnosis of the issues that are in front of you. We're here to supply you with the parts required to fix that problem. Um, and again, it, it depends on the, on, the, on the counter individual that you're dealing with. I've got a guy on my counter that's got 35 plus years experience in refrigeration and air conditioning. Yeah. So he, well, he's seen a lot of things. I also have someone on my counter that has less than a year. So I don't expect the person that has less than a year experience um, giving the same kind of advice or maybe some guidelines as, as my most experienced individual. So it's based around the individual and the rapport you have with the customer. If it's a customer that you've known and dealt with quite often, and you know how they think, you kind of can work together to come up with a solution if maybe he's, I don't know, it could be this or it could be this, Right. So, but you definitely don't want to get too far in over your head to where liability takes over and you're basically saying, here, you should take this because I think that's it. And then you find out that it's completely something else and maybe the furnace is now shorted out and the board's blown up or whatever. You don't want to get into that scenario as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen it. I've seen, like you said, I, I've been into, into some places where they have very knowledgeable people and they, they will talk with the technician and help them out. And, and, and I think that I think it's, it's valuable to have some of those people on your team. Like you're saying, you have a, a 20 year person with, with that much experience. And, and I think that adds value to, to the branch that you're in because the people coming in will maybe come in to that particular branch just because there's someone knowledgeable they can shoot ideas off of. Right. Yeah. I mean, and again, it is, it takes time to build that knowledge base up. So I mean, oh, yeah. many, many years of having conversations with technicians and being in situations where it's a repeat scenario. I mean, oh yeah, I've, I've come across that issue before and you know what? 
I get feedback. So what I've learned over the years is I'll ask, for example, you, Gary, so you're going to do a troubleshooting, you're going to replace a component on a furnace, and you're not 100% sure what it is. So we come up with a couple of solutions. I always follow up with the technician to find out exactly what was the final result, what was the problem, so that I can use that as a database myself. So yeah. the next time, inevitably, it's going to come up again at some point down the road. We all know that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I talked with Gary, and Gary said, yeah, you know what? We ended up in, we ended up in replacing the inducer motor because it wasn't spinning enough to keep that pressure switch closed. So you run into certain scenarios, and you build your own database for your own future um, technical troubleshooting, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, it's good. it's good to hang on to those conversations, like you said, as a database, uh, because anecdotally, they are, they are good stories to have, like you said, to, to back up your conversations in the future with technicians. So I think another thing that interests me is how the warrant, the warranties work. If, if I purchase a part six months, it fails. And then I bring the part back to you. And I, and I know there's, there's, it's, it's different everywhere. Uh, but a lot of times I'm told to keep the part for three months and if nobody gets a hold of me, just throw it out. And then I fill out the paper. So how, how does that all work behind the scenes? So it depends on if we're dealing with certain suppliers, vendors, and equipment. So with us being a York supplier, JCI, yeah. um, what we do is there's a sheet or form that we fill out, um, provided that the unit is registered, which we can see in our navigator database. We can go in there and look and see that it's been registered what the warranty coverage is, what's expired, what hasn't expired, when it is going to expire. We fill out that paperwork. We send it off to our warranty processing team down south. And then what happens is, is that you'll get, um, you'll get credited back for that part um, when it's processed through usually in seven to 10 days. So usually what it is is that you buy the part, it's failed. We, we sell you another part then a credit is applied to the account once the paperwork is processed through. Okay. That, that, that part is very self-explanatory. The part that, that intrigues me is if, if within that three month period, let's say somebody says, Hey, um, the manufacturer wants the part back. So at that point, what, what's, what's going on? Do, do the, the, the part needs to come back to the branch you bought it from, from, and then it needs to be sent to the manufacturer for testing. Like, do they actually ask for these parts back to run some tests on them? If maybe, let's say there's two, three blower motors from the same specific machine that come back under warranty over, the, over a two-year period. Somebody's going to say, hmm, what's going on here? So what happens then? We haven't had to send any parts minor parts back i mean okay. again when you to compressor failures right we'll use that because that's a significant component in, in an operating system of an air conditioning unit right yeah. so if you have multiple fails on a system they want to know what's going on and why that compressor failed i know with the bigger semi-hermetics they all go back for tear down and and to be uh, to be basically identified what caused the fail right mm -hmm. but for for, I don't know, we'll use a pressure switch or a transducer or something small like that. Chances are they're not going to because it's a mass produced item. Um, the serial numbers on the equipment can narrow it down to possibly a batch issue, right? Do they physically need some of this stuff back? No. 
Um, but if they have a run on a specific item where it's continuous, they may notify the locations and say, hey, listen, um, can you please start taking some of these parts back as we want to have them sent back for review? Uh, maybe uh, we have an issue with assembly or we have an issue with maybe production. Okay, cool. Well, that, that makes sense. And and it's it's always, the, the warranty thing for me has always been, been one of those things. Like, is, is somebody actually inspecting these things like physically and putting them putting them on a bench test or putting them back in a machine and running them uh because <laughs> there's just a lot of there's a lot of technicians they battle over uh warranty issues online well you can't do that because that'll void the warranty and stuff so it's always it's always been a curiosity of mine as to what happens to these things once a warranty claim has has been put in so that that kind of wraps some of that up for me so like, is there anything that stands out for you, a story through the years um, from from whichever branch you've worked at or, or recently that that has either been a massive failure, because, I mean, we can all learn from failures, or a massive triumph that, that really made you feel good and, and helped another technician out or a company out or, or whatever? Any one of the two would be fine, or both. I mean, I can use a, a scenario today. Actually, it's perfect timing, and it's and it's nothing major, but it's it, it is something that kind of echoes to the point we're talking about. Uh, one of my staff had um, a request from a customer for a piece of equipment. The piece of equipment was superseded, and we gave them the superseded piece of equipment. And it's a it was on a ductless split. Problem being is that with the superseded condenser, it didn't communicate properly with the evaporator, with the older evaporator. So we had a customer call us back pretty pretty angrily, right? Because the system's not working. We just gave them a new piece of equipment. Yeah. Um, so I instructed uh, our, our counter person to, you know what? Call them back. We'll discount the head. We'll prepay the freight. And I said, above all else, stand up in front of it and say, hey, listen, I made a mistake. And I didn't, uh, I didn't do enough research to give you everything you needed. And I said, I want to hear how the results were. Sure enough, 25 minutes later, in my office, that individual comes with a big smile on their face. I said, so how did the conversation go? And she happened to say it went really well. Um, they were happy that we were there to stand up for the product and make sure that we corrected the error and that we were in front of it and that we stood behind it. I said, well, that's a good teaching moment early on in your career because there's going to be many more of those. And we have to make sure that, uh, again, it's easy to look good when things are going well, but when yeah. things go crazy, how do you make yourself stand out? It's it's being able to right the wrong quickly and making sure that uh, at the end of the day, your customer is satisfied with what they get. In, in this no. case, yeah, hundred percent. I, I have a similar story that happened to me back. Oh, it's gotta be like 12, 13 years ago where I had ordered a controller or it's, it's like a switch almost for an HRV unit, a remote switch. Basically, you push it, there's a time delay, uh, the HRV comes on for 20 minutes uh, from the controller that's mounted in the HRV. So but these push-button controllers were being, uh, I guess they're, they were obsolete. So there's a new solid-state controller that they, they put in place of it. So I picked one up, put it in, pushed the button, nothing would happen. And I'm like, geez, what's going on here? And and uh, I called the supplier back. I'm like, I think I got to bring this back for warranty. And they're like, okay, it's not working. So I went and picked another one up. 
brought this one back, <laughs> pushed the button again. It still wasn't working. So that's when the they dug a little bit deeper. They got a hold of the manufacturer. A, a, a rep that was actually in the area came out to look at it. And he's like, oh, this is easy. He's like, when you buy this new push button solid state controller, you need to replace the control board in the HRV at the same time because the two don't, the old one, the old board with the new controller on the wall don't communicate with each other. You need to replace both parts. And I guess that wasn't updated in the system, but they corrected their, their, it wasn't really their fault because it wasn't in their system, but they did what they could to get me in touch with the, the rep in the area that came to the site. And whenever a rep comes to, to one of my sites, I learn a ton of stuff because they are dealing with that product consistently um, through, through the days and through the weeks and through the years. So they know more about it than I would. So it's really, it's really a treat to have a, a rep come to a site. So that that's kind of along the lines of, of the story you told, but that's what happened to me. Geez. Like, like I said, 12, 13 years ago, but it yeah. was rectified. It, 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 the, the, it was, it, the wrong was righted. <laughs> well, and that's at the end of the day. I mean, again, that's all you really try to achieve is that yeah. you're happy. And again, are we going to do this a hundred percent right every time? I wish I could say yes, but that's not reality. Um, there are going to be missteps along the way, and it's just a matter of how you correct them when they happen. And this situation for us today, it was it was that way. And again, so I just said, be open and honest, and say, listen, a mistake was made. And you're right, it's the same thing. The information wasn't carried forward in our system. It didn't say when it flipped over to the new code that hey, you need to replace the evaporator because the communication from the condenser to the evap isn't going to work as well. So. Um, long story short, yeah, the customer at the end of the day was uh, happy. We got it out to them and, and life was good. Awesome. So, I mean, I, I think we've touched on quite a bit here. Is there any other stuff that happens within a branch that you might not think the technician knows about or should be aware of, of what's happening? Just, just so we can all get on the same page with each other. I mean, logistics, I think, is the biggest thing in understanding how to get product here from either our distribution centers or from across the border or from wherever. Um, as much as I like to say we snap our fingers and voila, it's here. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a rather cumbersome process. And I mean, um, we, we've gone through and, and continue to go through some challenging times with COVID, whether it be on the raw material side that is used to build our equipment or just in commodity items. You look around today, the price of copper has gone through the roof. I mean, there's nothing, there's there's shortages on certain items right now that we used to have an abundance of. So um, having the ability to uh, communicate that in, in, a, in a proper way to the technician so they understand that, hey, it used to be two to three days, but now it's two to three weeks. And, and explaining to them why that is goes a long way because I've had many conversations where customers have said, hey, I could have got that. Like last year, we, it was like two days away. I'm like, yeah, that was last year. But now we're facing challenging times with, with a lot of the stuff that COVID has really, um, really created. And we need to be a little bit mindful and understanding that, hey, listen, we're doing our best to get it here. But um, there are extra challenges that have now creeped up over the last year specifically around that. So do you, do you want to know who thinks that finger snap and parts just automatically show up? 
our our customers think that. <laughs> that's true. So, so that, yes. that's why that's why probably we expect that from you because shit runs downhill and like I've dealt like customers go okay yeah fix that and I'll be like okay I'll order the part okay so I'm gonna be here for uh, five business days five business days and I'm like well I don't know what else to tell you right it's just mm-hmm. and and I found that I've said I've been told five to ten business days but something happens and now it turns into 10 to 15 business days. So now I don't even, if, if it's going to be a week or two of lead time, I don't even want to tell the customer when it might be showing up because they're going to mark it on their calendar and they're calling you or emailing you that day. It's almost like, well, I ordered it. They don't know when it's coming. It could be two to three weeks. And then I always find it's better to show up with the part way sooner than way later. So it's almost like managing expectations. It's not lying. It's just like, it's from my experience. I, I, I've been burned by telling the customer a week and it's actually three, right? But when I say three and it comes in a week, I look like a hero. So it's one of those things you gotta, you gotta balance it out, right? You've hit the nail on the head because that's the same way I deal with our, our, (laughs) but but that's smart though, because again, when you're leaving it into the hands of somebody else where it's out of your control, you're counting on them to facilitate that in a timely manner without any problems. Yeah. Like you're saying, if I tell you, if I hear from my, my vendor, it's going to be seven to 10 business days. So two weeks, we'll call it. I make it three to four weeks because if it shows up in a week and a half, I look like God. If it shows up outside that time limit, I look like a a goat. So rather over over commit that to you and have it show up and look really good than under and and look really bad. Yeah, no, it's it's a good tactic to to just just a, a, a mental tactic for for the technician with the customer. And it's all about managing expectations. And it's funny that you guys do the same thing. <laughs> I think we have no choice. I mean, again, yeah. I've been doing this for 25 years and I've been burned more times than enough by our, our suppliers that you just, okay, I, I don't feel like taking another shit sandwich today. So I'm going to, I'm going to add an extra week. And then if it shows up early, I look great. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, th- this has been a great conversation. Like I've really, enjoyed sort of deep diving into what what's going on in in the branches so i mean through through the years i guess you've 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 been to a few branches i mean you said you worked at train and you're with with master now where do you find the seasons peak like i mean obviously summer there's a peak winter there's a peak but for you, is there a particular time of year through your experience in, in all these different branches and suppliers where there's a real hard time that it's real busy and maybe you have to might bring on more staff or, or whatever there is? But is there is there specific times you see it's real busy and then specific times you see that it's a bit slower where you can just kind of relax a little bit? All right, so we'll use right now. Right now is the back end of the shoulder season, we like to call it, right? So we're not hot enough yet for AC, and we're not cold enough yet to run the furnace. So nothing breaks. So what happens is is that we'll see a pickup in our business starting, 
hopefully soon here in the next couple of weeks. I mean, Alberta seems to be a little bit behind the, on the weather side. We seem to be a little bit cooler. But if we get any heat early on, usually in the first couple of weeks of May, it usually sets up the season on the air conditioning side. And vice versa. Same thing in the winter. You'll get a shoulder season coming out of that out of the summer. So September, October-ish slows down a hair. But then you get that first real little bit of a cold snap in, in, in November where it really gets people's attention and then really starts to take off from there. So it is a true seasonality that you'll have that ebb, ebb and flow um, right through. But, yeah, your shoulder seasons are March, April on the uh, spring side and on the fall side. It's usually September and October. That's kind of your soft spots. So what I attempt to do, one of the things I, I wanted to do with that podcast is bring us together, not segregate. So in the trades, and I, I've been on Facebook in an electrician's group and said, hey, I'm an HVAC tech, just a question about this or that. And it's like, boo, HVAC, like there's too much segregation in the trades. There's segregation in our own trade, like chiller techs versus resi techs and I mean, some of it's good fun, poking fun. I'm all for that. Yeah. But I can, I can tell there's segregation there. I, I think that we need to get rid of the segregation, come together as a whole, work as a team to benefit each other in the long run. And if we do that, things will be much better for all of us. Right. And, and the supply house conversation is like, I hope you took away that having that rapport with your supply house people that work there right? Whether it be them answering the phones or you emailing them or, or whatever it is, that that rapport is going to help you out in the long run. One day it will, trust me. I've, I've benefited from myself. So anyway, Daryl, thank you very much for getting onto the podcast. And thank you very much for the Master Group for sponsoring this podcast. And we're going to continue to move forward trying to grow with each other here, not segregating. I, I hope you guys can take that away from this conversation. Anyway, guys, I'm out. Happy HVAC. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.